0: Good morning. Welcome to the Shirley and Shirley Show. Today I had the pleasure of having Justice Daniel Kelly, former Justice of Supreme Court and candidate for Supreme Court. Election is held next Tuesday, the 21st of February. I also had the Honorable Justice Rebecca Bradley. What a pleasure it was. Quick little bio on both, and then we'll get right into the show. And thank you so much for listening. Justice Daniel Kelly is a judicial constitutionist who has dedicated a lifetime to the law. He served on the Wisconsin Supreme Court from 2016 to 2020, a tenure marked by his rigorous scholarship, judicial humility, and unwavering commitment to the rule of law. The scores of opinions authored by Justice Kelly during his service on the Supreme Court stand as witnesses to his commitment To our Constitution and the rule of law. There's a few cases that Justice Kelly was involved in, and his writings are very interesting. In the case of Wisconsin legislature versus Secretary Designee Andrea Palm, Justice Kelly ruled that the Evers administration's safer at home order was a massive overreach of executive power. The result was the restoration of our individual liberties and the end of forced government shutdown of schools, businesses, and churches. When McAdams v. Marquette University came before the Supreme Court, Justice Kelly ruled that the university, by suspending Professor McAdams for his conservative speech, was in breach of contract. The result was the protection of First Amendment rights and academic freedom. In Wisconsin, Carey versus City of Madison, Justice Kelly ruled that the City of Madison's attempt to limit concealed Carry rights violated state statutes. The result was the protection of the Second Amendment rights. When Tetra Tech versus Department of Revenue came before Wisconsin Supreme Court, Justice Kelly ruled that the Supreme Court won't defer to an administrative agency's interpretations of the law. As a result, unelected bureaucrats in Madison were prevented from exercising power that did not belong to them. Justice Kelly's extensive knowledge of the law and his commitment to judicial conservatism have positioned him as a clear choice in the upcoming Wisconsin Supreme Court election. Wisconsin voters can count on him to defend our constitutional rights, enforce the law as it is written, and prevent judicial activism on the Supreme Court. Justice Rebecca Bradley is a Milwaukee native, was elected to the Supreme Court in 2016 after being appointed by Governor Scott Walker in 2015. She is the first Wisconsin Supreme Court justice to have served as an intermediate appellate court judge as well as a circuit court judge. Before joining the Supreme Court, Justice Bradley served as District 1 Court of Appeals judge, a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge, and worked as an attorney in private practice, including serving as vice president of legal operations for a global software company. Justice Bradley graduated from Marquette University with honors and a BS in business administration and business economics and received her Juris Doctor from University of Wisconsin Law School in 1996. For more information on Justice Bradley, you can go to the Supreme Court Wisconsin website. Thank you. Now on to the show. Welcome to the and Shirley, Shirley Show. I am excited today to announce our guest, Justice Dan Kelly, candidate for Supreme Court, and the Honorable Rebecca Bradley, a current Supreme Court justice here in Wisconsin. Justice Bradley is supporting Dan Kelly in his important race. So welcome to you both, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk today. And I'd like to start off maybe, Dan, with you introducing yourself and letting everyone know a little about your past and why you're running for Supreme Court.
1: Great. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much, and thanks for having me on your podcast again. It is a pleasure to talk with you. So a little bit about me, as folks probably remember, I have served as one of your Supreme Court justices for several years, and I have to say it was the greatest professional honor of a lifetime and there's a couple reasons for that one uh, because I understand that all the authority to create and maintain governments belongs to the people of Wisconsin and they simply loan that authority to us through the Constitution and that sets up a really important relationship between the people of Wisconsin and those who serve on the court and it's the re- relationship of boss and servant so I was a servant for those uh, for those many years on the court I was pleased because I had the best bosses a guy could ask for also a pleasure I love Loved the work of the court in every aspect of it. You know, when I was going through the appointment process, uh, a friend of mine pulled me aside one day and said, now, are you sure you want to do this? And I looked at him a little quizzically. And I said, well, I, I think so. What did you have in mind? And he says, well, you know, if you are appointed, the life of a Supreme Court justice uh, comprises pretty much this. You, you go into your chambers in the morning, you spend the day alone, and you're reading and researching and writing, that's it. And I looked at him like, that sounds like heaven to me. (laughs) <laughs> uh so it was uh, it was just a pleasure as well. Folks might not know that uh that prior to coming to the uh, Supreme Court, I spent my life pretty much in commercial litigation with one of the largest most respected law firms in the state of Wisconsin. During that time, uh I also helped lead the Federal Society in Wisconsin for my, I didn't probably at least 15 years, uh the last 5 years of which was president of the Milwaukee chapter, one of the most vibrant chapters. In the country and i think that's significant because that that organization exists for the sole purpose of helping people understand promote and apply the original public meaning of our constitutions and they focus specifically on the proper role and function of the court within our constitutional system. It was a pleasure to, uh, to do that. So I've been involved in constitutional uh, thought leadership in application for many, many years. In several ways, interestingly enough, I've kind of followed in the footsteps of Justice Rebecca Bradley, because she can say, um, I, I, Rebecca, I think you can probably say almost exactly uh, what I've said about my background. <laughs>
2: It is very similar, Cheryl. And thank you very much for having both of us on. I think everyone knows that uh, Justice Kelly and I served on the Supreme Court together for four years. So I, as well as the public, are very familiar with his phenomenal work and his defense of the Constitution. But we have both been involved in the Federalist Society for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And in that organization, as uh, Justice Kelly was explaining, is founded on principles that are of critical importance to defending the liberties of the people, that the state exists to preserve freedom and the separation of powers is essential to our constitution. We saw how important those principles are uh, three years ago when the executive branch overreached overstepped its constitutional and other legal authority to order us around under the threat of fines and imprisonment if we didn't stay home and close our, as they decided, non-essential businesses, wouldn't let our kids go to school, wouldn't let us visit our loved ones in nursing homes and again, did all of this under the threat of of severe government sanctions, it was Justice Kelly and I and two other justices on the court, only four Wisconsin Supreme Court justices had the courage to say that the executive branch had overstepped its boundaries. And that's why this race is so very important, because we have to have Justice Kelly, back on that court to ensure that our constitutional rights are upheld.
0: Well, I truly appreciate everything that you did do. Because it was a, a frightening time for everyone, and I still think at some point we are all going to pay for allowing people to die alone. Some point. I mean, I believe in a in a God, and I just think that that is a sufferable, terrible thing. I'm someone who really believes in civil liberties. I served in the U.S. Navy, and I believe that our civil liberties are we're losing them quicker than we can possibly get him back. And that was one of the times that was a very dark time for us here in Wisconsin. So I appreciate you both standing up for that and all the the Supreme Court justices that did. And closing businesses was just unbelievable. It's still a shock to me. And what we've done to our children is a shock. I am glad that you're there fighting for that. So it is truly my honor to have you on as a guest today, Justice Bradley. And maybe you could share a little bit about your background and why you're supporting Dan for this important position. Obviously, you just said one really strong reason, and maybe you could share a little bit more.
2: I'd love to to do that. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. I've known Dan, like I said, for I think Dan is probably at least two decades at this point, mainly because of our involvement in the Federalist Society, and we were both private practice attorneys. For many years, sixteen years for me. I think over twenty years for you, Dan. Right?
1: That's about right.
2: Yes, and you know we both had really nice careers in the in the private sector. Um, there's usually no media tax that come with being <laughs> a citizen in the private yeah. in the private sector. Um, and I'll let Dan talk about it later. But I had never planned on taking the judicial route. I was happy in the privacy and the peace that comes with working <laughs> in the private sector. But I think for both Dan. And me, at some point in our careers, we were both called to serve the people of Wisconsin as members of the judiciary. One of the things that is most important to me, whenever I am looking as a citizen at who I am going to vote for, is why that person is running for office. And I got some good advice when I started running uh, from Waukee Circuit Court. That was my uh, first step in the judiciary. Uh, Another judge told me, be yourself out on the campaign trail and be honest with people. And I thought, well, that's good advice. That should work, right? So I told people exactly why I was running. And that was for the principal purpose of ensuring that the law is followed by judges, that the rule of law is preserved and that our constitutional rights are always foremost in the minds of the judiciary so that they can defend and protect them. And thank, thank you, Cheryl, for your service in the Navy. My father mm-hmm. ser- served in the Navy in World War II, so that's very meaningful to me personally. Dan and I both left the privacy of the private sector because we were called to, to do this work as servants, as Dan said earlier, to the people of Wisconsin in order to uphold the rule of law and uphold the Constitution. That is a central reason why I am also supporting Dan, because I know he spent the last two years after he left the court going around the state asking people if they wanted him to run again. He explained to people that he would like to do that job because he feels He is public service minded and he has he has the right understanding of what our government officials are supposed to be servants of the public. And I want to go back to what happened to us during the pandemic, because I think a lot of government officials and certainly the executive branch in that instance got it exactly backward and thought that they're the ones who tell us what to do and that's completely backwards. It is we the people who tell our government officials what to do and give them their authority and that is through the Constitution and through our elected laws. I also want to address something very important. There's, we have another candidate in the race who is running as a judicial conservative. In talking to people, I've been going around the state uh, promoting Dan's candidacy. A lot of people think, oh, well, Justice Kelly can't win because he lost the election in 2020. And for lack of a better word, Cheryl, I think that's just bunk, because (laughs) the, the election in 2020, in addition to a pandemic, going on, uh, which I think prevented a lot of people or or dissuaded a lot of people from voting because the government scared them about what was going on with the pandemic. We had a Democrat presidential preference primary on the ballot, and there is no conservative, I think, who could have won that election under those circumstances. You know, it was actually presented to the legislature. within the legislature, they were thinking about moving our nonpartisan races off the ballot, and the (laughs) legislature got criticized by the media, and so they wouldn't do it. We are nonpartisan. Our races do not belong on a partisan ballot. So we're kind of in the boat we're in because the legislature wouldn't do its job and do the right thing of moving this off of a partisan ballot. But it's important to note that Justice Kelly nonetheless received almost 700,000 votes, which is more than Justice Rebecca Dallett received in her successful race. It is more than uh, Brian Hagedorn, Justice Brian Hagedorn received in his successful race for the Supreme Court. So the votes are out there for Justice Kelly, absolutely. And what is also noteworthy to me is when I, I was sitting in the front row of the only forum that included all four candidates, and when Janet Protasiewicz, who I think is going to be the likely, uh, likely to emerge from the primary successfully, when she was spitting all over the rule of law and the mm-hmm. Constitution, it was only Justice Kelly who responded to her and engaged her in the debate. So running for office gives us great experience in dealing with the media and the other candidates. Justice Kelly has that experience, and he has what it takes to defeat Janet Protasiewicz. And I know because I defeated her in Milwaukee County for Circuit Court um, in 2013. I know what it takes to beat her, and I'm quite confident that Justice Kelly has what it takes to defeat her in the general.
0: Well, you certainly um, covered a lot in that. And you are correct that the the whole 2020 um, election debacle was unbelievable. It seems like we've become more divided. And like you said, this is a nonpartisan race. That's one of the issues that I bring up all the time to many people. This isn't about a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Greenpeace, whatever, Libertarian, this is truly a nonpartisan election that should be the right person for the job, not that it's based on a conservative. and, And I think some of that I do have... Uh, something in here that I wanted to address with both of you is this constitutional conservative. I think that many people misunderstand what that really means. And justice Kelly, we talked about that last time on the podcast and I want you to hit on that again. And maybe justice uh, Bradley, you could hit on that too, because I think people get so confused. They just, you know, conservative liberal. Now it's that that's the big words, but it doesn't mean the same thing. And as a nonpartisan, obviously it's so hard in today's world to be considered nonpartisan any longer. When you're doing your job, you're looking at the law. You're not looking at, oh, I'm just going to stand up for these people because they believe this, but you're looking at the law and it just really frustrates me because I am someone who does believe that you do have a calling when you do this type of work. It's a calling. Yes, I believe that. I do. I mean, I believe serving, I served eight and a half years as a nurse in the Navy and it was a calling. There was no doubt. I'd like maybe you to hit on that if you could think the constitutional conservative, if we can hit on that a little bit and what it means, what it really means would be important.
1: Yeah. So let's, uh, so let's, Start with that phrase. Uh, constitutional conservative, we'll take it in reverse order. It is about conserving the original public meaning of the Constitution. You know, it's unfortunate that the term uh, conservative is used both in political philosophy and judicial philosophy because. They are not related at all. So in political philosophy, you're talking about um, making prudential decisions in the legislature. They're political decisions. In the judiciary, you're making legal decisions. And so when we talk about constitutional conservatism, we're talking about maintaining, conserving the proper role and function of the the courts within our constitution. And that role is simply to decide questions of law and leave uh, questions of policy and politics to the Legislative branch of government. There is no correspondence between uh, between politics and uh, the court, or at least there shouldn't be. And, and this is, I think, one of the key elements that get uh, get overlooked in, uh, in in popular media, and when when they talk about. Judicial races. In nearly, uh, one of the reasons, uh, Cheryl, it's refreshing to talk with you, is because I don't have to do this groundwork that I have to do with other media. But with other media, they always try to shove the court into a political box. And so all they seem uh, to be able to do is talk about, well, how would you rule on the issues? Mm -hmm. As if our job is to is to legislate, to give our opinion of what the prudential decisions should be uh when we're talking about politics but that's just not what we do we're not in a political box and so i have to start out with them with nearly every single question Saying okay, so uh, so we do we do law in the courts. Uh, we don't do politics, and there is a way of uh, of doing the work of the court that uh, will squeeze out all the politics and all the political values that people have. Now, and it starts with this recognition. Every single person who has ever sat on a judicial bench have had political views. And they've had personal views. They have personal values. The question is, are you willing to set those aside in order to do the work of the court? And do you know how to set that aside to do the work of the court? That's the beginning of the dividing line between constitutional conservatives and judicial activists. Mm -hmm. And so judicial activists, they start with the premise that they're not going to set their personal views aside, that they will use those to help them decide cases, you know, in this race, Janet Protasiewicz has been exceedingly upfront with her commitment to using her personal values to decide cases instead of the law. Like I said, now you, you need to have that commitment to setting aside your politics and you need to know how to do it. So the methodology that I use to make sure that personal uh, politics or values don't interfere with the work of the court is I've developed a very specific way of analyzing cases and writing opinions. The way that works is uh, we always begin with the law that is applicable to the case that we're reviewing, whether that's a constitutional provision or statute or regulation or the common law. And then we use rigorous logic to move from those premises all the way down to the conclusion. When you're done, you should be able to look back and see an unbroken chain of logic connecting the conclusion to the premises. And if you do, if you can see that unbroken chain of logic, that's your guarantee that the conclusion is commanded by law and not by the individual jurist's personal preferences. What I've done during my time on the Supreme Court, that's been my commitment and will continue to be my commitment. That's one of the reasons why we put all of my opinions, uh, listed out all the opinions that I've ever written as a Supreme Court justice on my website, uh, justicedanielkelly.com. And if you go there under the record tab, you will see that list of all the opinions I've written. And I put them there because I want the people of Wisconsin to confirm for themselves that the work that I did was purely applying the law to resolve the cases that came before the court and nothing else. And I wrote those opinions in a way that you don't have to have a legal back to work your way through them because I understood that you know, when I was writing, writing an opinion, I was really writing a report to my bosses about how I used the authority they loaned to me to decide their case. And I think it's really important that they be able to check my work. And so I wrote, I wrote the opinions in a way that would be easy for them to check up on how I've used th- that borrowed authority. Now, that's what constitutional conservatism is about. But in this race, it's going to come down to without, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I think it's going to be between Janet Protosaywitz and me. And the question is going to be, what is the future of our court going to be? Will we continue to have a court or will we have a judicial dictatorship? So Janet Protosaywitz has been out talking about how she's going to be implementing her personal values. And she did it in a particularly compelling way, actually, in a TV interview a few weeks ago when she was talking about the scales of justice. You know, and our obligation as jurists is simply to hold those scales straight, true, and even, and make sure that nothing but the facts and the law influence how they, uh, how those scales balance. In uh, Janet's mind, she was saying that if she's on the court, she said that the vast majority of cases, there won't be a thumb on the scale, as if that's supposed to reassure us. <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> if you say it that way, uh, what you're saying is that there will be cases in which she would put her thumb on the scale. And interesting, she went right on from that comment to say, but I think that uh, people need to know what my values are. Mm-hmm. And when you hear a jurist tell you what her values are, when she says, I'll call them as I see them, what she's telling you is she's going to use her personal values to put her thumb on the scale to decide cases. Our job is not to call things as we see them. Our job is to call things the way the law sees them. But she's not committed to that. So if she gets on the Supreme Court, instead of the rule of law, we will have the rule of Janet. And that's, you know, that's one of the primary reasons that I'm running. If the people of Wisconsin return me to the court, we will continue to have the rule of law. Their laws will decide their cases. But if Janet gets there, it's not going to be the laws that decide cases. It'll
2: be the rule of Janet.
0: Yes, I, I certainly understand that 100%. Justice um, Bradley, you have something to add to that?
2: I do, actually, although that was a wonderful <laughs> on what it means to be a constitutional conservative. But I, I do want to emphasize for your listeners that the people of Wisconsin have an opportunity that is really rare. Because a lot of candidates, when they're campaigning for judicial office, until this race, uh, and Janet uh commentary, uh, until this race, we're not supposed to talk about the issues or how we're going to decide cases or even give hints, much less promises about that. Are So we don't have a lot that we can talk about. So you hear a lot of uh, candidates who, who view themselves as conservatives saying, I will uphold the rule of law and I will uphold the Constitution right? But that means different things to different people and to, again, emphasize how important it is that we have a a scholar like Justice Kelly return to the court, we have the benefit of four years of his opinions where he showcased invariably his commitment to upholding the law as it's written in our statutory law that the legislature writes and in our constitution, because we can't always count on candidates who come to us and say, I promise I'll uphold the rule of law and apply the constitution and of course, it is more complicated than it sounds. And so it's really important that we have somebody who has a deep understanding of the Constitution and where our rights come from. When I've been going around the state, I ask the crowds, ladies and gentlemen, where do our rights come from? And the people understand it. The people get it. There are always people who yell out, they come from God. That's in our Declaration of Independence, that we are endowed by our Creator with un alienable rights. Our rights don't come from the piece of paper that is the constitution, right? Because tyrannical governments across history have all had constitutions, many with more robust bill of rights than we have in the (laughs) United States. That piece of paper doesn't mean anything if the branches of government do not respect the limits of their authority. And so what it means to be a constitutional conservative is to always, when ruling on cases, to make sure that whether it's the legislature or the executive branch or the judiciary, that whatever governmental actor whose actions are under review, to make sure that they have always acted within the bounds of their authority, and if they have not to say so there are conservatives in the judiciary i'm sorry to say who don't understand this i'll give you one very general example during my tenure on the court in a case where i upheld the constitutional rights of a criminal defendant one of my colleagues said to me, I thought you were a conservative because what it meant to that justice, what being a judicial conservative meant to that justice is to always side with law enforcement. And I I deeply respect the work our law enforcement does around the state, but when I was running and having conversations with sheriffs and other members of law enforcement, most of them said to me, look, we don't mind if you tell us that we did something wrong because we're constitutional officers. We understand our obligation to always follow the constitution. We just need the court to tell us if we get it wrong sometimes. and, And we're okay with that because their sheriff's primary goal is also in addition to keeping our communities safe to ensure that in doing so they don't overstep their boundaries or their deputies don't. And so when people come to us telling us that they're judicial conservatives, it's important that we kind of tunnel into what they mean by that because it does mean different things to different people. This again is why I'm supporting Justice Kelly because I know he understands that our rights come from God not the piece of paper that is the constitution not from the government judge doro who i've known for 10 years I, I like her she's a nice person i think she's probably done you know good work on the circuit court bench but on her own literature she wrote that she's deeply respectful of the constitutional rights our state and federal constitutions endow mm-hmm. upon every citizen and 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 that's why i'm supporting justice kelly because If we have somebody on the Wisconsin Supreme Court who doesn't understand that our rights are inherent and come from God, I'm not... Confident in that person's ability to defend and protect our rights. Well,
0: that's certainly understandable, Dan. I, I had the pleasure of seeing you uh, in Sawyer County last weekend. It was a great crowd, and you were definitely well received. Can you maybe share how the campaign's going and how you're feeling about the election? It's coming up so fast. It's amazing to me that it's like <laughs> less than. A week. I mean, it's so. It's so crazy that it's less than a week away. And and I know that you both have been all over the state and covering everything that you possibly can, and we appreciate that. But I did see what? you at that event, and you did a great job. It was a good crowd. And especially, obviously, you know that there was a lot of snow. And I think yeah, I think you guys maybe had a little incident with a deer, too, didn't you? Or someone in front of you? <laughs> I remember hearing that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there was, uh, uh, and thank you for saying that. It was a wonderful crowd. It was great to spend some time with them. <clears throat> you know, you, um, you you get to know folks a little bit when you break bread with them. It was a it was a pleasure to spend that evening with uh, some great folks. But yeah, on the way there, we saw a, a young lady who had uh, stopped in the middle of the street. There was a deer in the middle of the road. There had been a collision, and she was deeply concerned. About you know others coming upon the deer in the road and you know perhaps striking it and damaging it themselves or getting in an accident and and the deer was down but not but it had not died and she was looking for somebody that would be able to to take care of the deer or at least uh, at least be able to move it mm-hmm. so you know there, were, mm-hmm. <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of people around right. so <laughs> I got out of the car and and you know and as gently as I could moved it off to the side of the road.
0: It's one of those, um, uh, uh, welcome to the Northland, right? Yes.
2: <laughs> now know, that's a true that, public know, servant. That is <laughs> a true <laughs> public servant.
0: I agree. It was, it well, was the story of the night. Believe me, there were people talking about Justice Kelly out here pulling a deer out of the road. Oh, that's
1: funny. I <laughs> yeah. had no idea anybody knew. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. Yeah. I, I talked to you. I talked to a couple people and they, they said, and, and I think, um, Will Martin was following you or something. Yeah. He was. Yeah. 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 He was like, you know, startled by the whole scene too, <laughs> but that's kind of a normal thing in the Northland at this time of the year. And as you saw, there was they have like three feet of snow up there. It's crazy. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. I just wanted to see, you know, the crowd was really very, very excited about you. I just kind of wondered how you're feeling about this election. I know yeah. that you've been working very hard. I have.
1: You know, here's uh, here's the thing about elections, uh, campaigns, and me. I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. which means I I get energy from being alone. But I love getting out with the folks in Wisconsin and talking with them about the future of the court and the future of our state, because I I found that they are are universally emphatic that the next Supreme Court justice has to be someone who's going to respect the Constitution, uh, uphold it invariably, uh, and preserve the rule of law, because that's Uh, They understand that that's the substrate that we need so that we can do the really important things in life. So that we're free to do those things that lead to a rich and rewarding life like faith and family and friends and community and work and all of those things that really are at the top of our agenda list. I love talking with them uh, about that and it has been very encouraging to me. Uh, as I go around the state, and I hear that same thing over and over again. And they've uh, been a wonderful encouragement to me in a couple of ways. One, they uh, they say that they're supporting me and that they'll be voting for me. And by the way, if if y'all could do that before 8 o'clock on Tuesday, that'd be great. And then they say that they are praying for me as well. And I can't even begin to tell you how uh, grateful I am their prayers uh you know campaigns are difficult things they're draining yeah and uh, over the many years i've learned that there is strength and wisdom and peace in prayer and i could use as much of all of that as i can possibly get and so i'm so grateful for folks who come alongside and tell me that they're going to be standing with me in prayer Feeling really good about this you know i you know wherever we go uh it is and, and if you hear a cat, I uh, do, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's and, and okay. this one is not me.
2: Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 he must want attention.
1: <laughs> Indeed she does. And she's, she's the more insistent of our two cats. <laughs> and uh, so this is probably going to be a feature for the rest of the podcast. That's um, okay.
0: Not a problem at all. We love it.
1: <laughs> great. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, you know, wherever I go there, uh, Uh, they are standing up, as they should, as the bosses in Wisconsin, and understanding that their responsibility is to figure out, of the four candidates, who is going to be the best to be sitting in that seat. Uh, As I've often described this, uh, the amount of power that resides in the hands of the people of Wisconsin is immense, because all the power to create and maintain governments belongs to we, the people. All the power. To decide who is going to staff the government belongs to we, the people, and that's a lot of power. And as I've learned from Spider-Man movies, <laughs> uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, I've uh, I've encouraged folks uh, wherever I go to consider the the backgrounds and the records of all four candidates, and then make their considered decision on a person for whom they will uh, support and vote. Uh, I've been real careful. This is just you know, part of my respect for the people of Wisconsin and the proper relationship between them and me. I'm interviewing to be one of their servants. I'm not interviewing to be their bosses. And so I don't even tell them to vote for me because it is not uh, it is not for me to tell my bosses what to do. I offer them the information that I think it would be helpful for them to make the decision. But at the end of the day, um, my encouragement to them is to please just uh, consider our records carefully and then make their considered judgment uh, on who they want sitting on their court.
0: Absolutely. Well, Justice Bradley, I understand that there's a difference between serving as a trial and circuit court judge compared to Supreme court experience. Can you maybe explain the difference for our audience? So, they'll understand that there is a very, very big difference.
2: Yes, thank you. That's a great question. So I served as a Milwaukee circuit court judge. I also served on the Court of Appeals. And of course, now I'm serving on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So I have experience in every every layer of our judicial system. The trial court judges, the circuit court judges, are presiding over trials. They're presiding over cases when they first enter the justice system, whether it's on the criminal or the civil side. And so uh, judges on the circuit court bench are interacting with not only lawyers, but litigants and witnesses and juries. Um, Their primary responsibility is to hear these cases in the first instance and make evidentiary rulings to make sure that trials are fair and conducted in accordance with the law. At the Supreme Court, as Justice Kelly uh, described it, and some people think it sounds just awful to sit (laughs) and read and and study the law. And um, I've described it when we have uh, student groups come to us. I said, you know, my job is a lot like your job in school. I have a lot to read. I have papers to write. And I always have homework. <laughs> it's kind of a, um, we, we, this is not a nine to five job. We're not going to court every day. A lot of us work remotely. We can work from home because our job is to read hundreds, sometimes thousands of pages every week and to study the law, to read treatises, the briefs that the parties file with us when their cases are before us, it is a very solitary job. It's very focused on reading and writing and studying the law. We don't interact with defendants in a courtroom. We have oral arguments on every case. So there we're asking questions of the attorneys to, again, probe their arguments on the law. So it's it's all about the law, studying it and learning it. it's very, very different. So I think it's important for people to understand that difference. Can it be helpful to have justices on a Supreme Court? whether it's federal or state, who have served as circuit court judges, sure. I actually think it's really important to have a diversity of experience on the appellate bench. But if you look at the United States Supreme Court, for example, many of the justices did not have a background at all in the trial court bench. It's a very, very different job, a very different skill set. Uh, what you will see is that a lot of uh, justices, appellate judges and justices come from a background of appellate law where they as as attorneys were arguing the law to judges you'll see law professors people who studied mm. the law deeply in many different areas of the law so the jobs are extremely Different. And again, this is why the people of Wisconsin have this tremendous opportunity to return Justice Daniel Kelly to the Supreme Court, where he did this job for four years in all respects. uh, Most importantly, again, our most important aspect of our job is deciding cases, uh, studying the Constitution and the laws to help us come to the right decision under the law. There's also administrative responsibilities that aren't talked about um, very often, but Justice Kelly did all of those administrative responsibilities extremely well for four years. So we know we can count on Justice Kelly to do the job right, to do it well, and to, again, always have foremost at the top of his mind in every case, the protection of our constitutional rights and upholding the rule of law.
0: Yeah, that's probably the most important right there. Uh,
2: Justice Kelly,
0: we've talked in the past about not legislating
2: from the bench, and we know Mm -hmm. how
0: important that is. And you hit again on that because people, they need to realize that there's a difference between legislation and judicial. I really have a hard time with this because I explained this to people many times over you are not there and and I'd like justice Bradley of course to jump in there as well when when you're finished and maybe offer her information and and suggestions and recommendations on this too it's so frustrating to hear people say uh people that are running against you talk about um you know legislating from the bench basically is what I think that that that's what they're talking about so maybe yeah. you could hit on that a little bit
1: yeah that's right so not legislating from the bench is a is a way that we've uh, developed talk about constitutional conservatism in a in a pithy way right so it kind of condenses a lot down into a single phrase. but as we unpack that phrase, what we're talking about is the difference between the function of each of the branches of government. Uh, sometimes i've I've described the differences between the branches, Uh, functionally by placing each of them on a timeline and looking at the the piece of the timeline that each of the branches is responsible for. So uh, if you look at a timeline, you've got a, you've got the future, the present, and the past. And each one of the three branches of government maps really nicely onto one of those segments. The legislature, and that's the the branch that the people of Wisconsin have been trusted with making the law, the legislature takes the future part of the timeline. And its responsibility is to peer into that indefinite future, figure out what laws will be helpful to promote human flourishing. And it's a tough job. Nobody can tell the future. They have to make their best estimate of what things are gonna be like so they can figure out what laws going forward will be helpful to promote human flourishing. And that's one of the reasons why it's the most populous branch of the government. So we get uh, get people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different kinds of interest interests and experiences, and we get them in a room and we say, you guys talk about this, and you combine all of that information and knowledge and wisdom, figure this question out. What laws do we need to promote human flourishing? And so they produce the laws. The executive branch is responsible for the present. And in many ways, the work of both the executive and the judiciary are derivative of the work that the legislature did. Both the executive and the uh, judiciary use the law developed by the legislature to do their jobs. So the executive uh, uh, has to take that law and say, all right, I need to put this into effect today, and I need to do it in a way that will promote human flourishing. And that is always the executive's job, putting that into effect today and every single tomorrow as it becomes today. Then the court has for itself matters of the past. And this is where it becomes really clear about why it's so important that the the judiciary not try to steal the legislature's authority. So everything that the court does uh, addresses something that's already happened. There's a contract that's been breached, there's been a, a crime committed, there's a statute that's been called into question and how it applies. We're always looking backwards at something that has already occurred. And so our responsibility is to use the law that existed when those facts occurred to resolve that dispute. And this is where it becomes plain that you just, you must not legislate when you are, you must not create new standards of law when you are adjudicating a case. Because everything that we touch is something that has happened in the past, it would be manifestly unjust to say to those people, well, I understand, what the law was back then when you made your decisions on how to behave. But I've got a better idea. <laughs> Me personally, and I think what the standard ought to be is this new idea. And I'm going to use that standard that I just made up to adjudicate the dispute between the two of you. Both of them would uh, would legitimately say, "Wait a minute. That's not what the law was when this happened. You're supposed to apply the law" that was in effect at the time that these facts occurred. And that's why it's so fundamentally unjust when the uh, when the judiciary engages in this thing that we call legislating from the bench. And that is to say that it, it ignores the law that uh, was in place at that time, and it imports a new standard uh, to be used in deciding that case. So that uh, when courts do that, uh, it's not just fundamentally unjust, It is illegitimate because it destroys the entire concept of the rule of law. So that's a very long unpacking of what we mean when we say that courts should not legislate from the bench. It's about preserving the rule of law and making sure that people can make their decisions each day based on the law as it exists on that day.
0: I believe that. I think one of the, the most frustrating parts is that we are seeing it more and more, uh, groups, ide- ideology, and, and legislating from the bench. And that is uh, extremely scary to someone who does believe yeah. in civil liberties and <laughs> believes in what our law is. Yeah, so,
1: exactly. And that's, the, and that's the danger that Janet Protasiewicz is proposing to exactly. bring to our yeah. court. Exactly. Uh, and she's making no bones about it at all.
0: I agree. Uh, Justice uh, Bradley, you want to add something to that? I
2: do. When I'm talking to people about the what that means, legislating from the bench, um, and why we cannot have that, I, I put it in these terms. And regardless of political backgrounds or, or leanings of people, no one should want four or five lawyers sitting on a Supreme Court, either at the United States level or at the state level, making all of the important decisions for the people, because those decisions are very difficult, if not impossible, to reverse. Mm -hmm. The Wisconsin Supreme Court can be reversed by the United States Supreme Court, but only in very limited circumstances where we are deciding questions of federal law. And it is exceedingly rare, although it did happen last year, that the United States Supreme (laughs) Court will step in and say, "Mm, You got it wrong, uh, justices of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. When people are thinking that "Mm, it might be better if we just have the court step in. That'll be faster to work change in society because you know the legislature isn't isn't moving fast enough on all the big issues of the day. The problem with that is that that's the end of the discussion. It is removed from the democratic process and decisions are going to be made by a handful of lawyers sitting on a court. No one should want that. Justice Scalia wrote in dissent, Uh, several years ago now, in a very controversial case where the United States Supreme Court did remove a very pressing, controversial issue that was dividing the American public. The court decided to remove that issue uh, from the democratic process, and it just decided it. And Justice Scalia wrote, and I'm paraphrasing, that the outcome in that particular case was not of great importance to him, but what was of overwhelming importance to him is who governs us. And everybody in this state and in this country should not want to be governed by a handful of lawyers, they should want to be governed by themselves. And so these decisions rest with our elected representatives in the legislature, again, either statewide or federally, when our legislators are not doing what the people want them to do, they can be unelected, we can elect new representatives to enact or to clawback laws that the people uh, don't want. But once the lawyers on a court decide an issue, it's game over. The people have lost their ability to govern themselves. And again, nobody should want that uh, state of affairs. And it certainly isn't what the people have provided for in our state and federal constitutions, where we have established representative government, not in the judiciary, in the legislature.
0: Well, I think the decisions are going to be made um, next week. Uh, Folks, the election is next Tuesday, February 21st. You cannot sit this out. This is so very important. Bring five, ten people with you. Make sure you vote. And if you want, you vote early. Uh, But we cannot sit this out. This is just way too important. What she just stated there and what Justice Kelly has talked about, frightening, truthfully, to think that we would have just try to have lawyers telling us what we are, what's what's going to be serving us better than our Supreme Court justices. Uh, Justice Kelly, is there like, can you tell people how to get hold of you if they want more information? And is there anything else that you would like to share?
1: Sure. So, so the best way to get a hold of me is through our website. That's JusticeDanielKelly.com. There's a box there you can email us from that website, and that's probably the easiest way. I. Uh, I just want to uh, thank you, Cheryl, uh, for doing this podcast. I want to thank the people of Wisconsin for being the best bosses that a guy could have. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And I just want to encourage them that liberty can be protected, that justice can be found in our courts. But it's going to be true only so long as the people of Wisconsin stand up and exercise their authority as the bosses of Wisconsin. We have the really important things that we like to spend our time on, you know, faith and family and friends and work and community. Every once in a while, we just have to take a step back, make sure that the structure of our government is sound so that it can continue to protect our ability to engage in those really important things, and a lot of that is elections. I know they're going to be thoughtful in this, uh, it, but as I'm looking out uh, my window right now, I'm seeing a lot of snow coming down. <laughs> And uh, you never know what's going to happen on Tuesday, and so please take whatever opportunity you can to make sure that your vote gets in. Uh, and and again, I, if I could ask that uh, that you do that by eight o'clock on Tuesday, that would be lovely.
0: Well, thank you so much, and uh, Justice uh, Bradley, is there anything that you'd like to add to that?
2: I would. I'd like to just reiterate that everyone needs to get out and vote on Tuesday, or I think today is the last day for early voting, but we are having a bit of a snowstorm here. But if people have the opportunity to do that, it is really important because as Justice Kelly just said, things come up on election day, I voted early because I'm going to be in Madison, uh, working with the court on Tuesday. But I am asking all of your listeners to cast their votes for Justice Daniel Kelly, because he is the only person in this race with the proven record of upholding the rule of law and protecting our constitutional rights. We cannot gamble with this seat because if an activist takes over, we will lose the ability to govern ourselves in the state of Wisconsin. And Justice Kelly is the best candidate to ensure that the power rests where it belongs, where our Constitution provides, and that is with we the people. So I am really hoping and asking everyone to stand with me and vote for Justice Daniel Kelly.
0: Well, I'd like to say thank you to both of you for such a pleasurable and exciting experience. I feel very honored to have you both as a guest. I just really appreciate you taking the time because I know you're both very, very busy, especially when you're campaigning. So thank you so much. It is, I, I'm very grateful And it was really an honor to have you both as a guest today.
1: Well, thank you, Cheryl. I'm grateful for you. I really
2: appreciate you doing this.
0: Well, thanks. Uh, Thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed the
2: conversation very much.
0: Me too. Um, Justice Bradley, such a great pleasure to meet you and such an honor, really is an honor to have you both on. So thank you. You guys have a good day. Uh, Stay bundled up in your snowstorm. I heard you guys were getting it. We're not, which we're thankful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's our turn.
0: Yeah, your turn. So you can have it. Uh, I, Justice Kelly, I'm wishing you the very best. I voted early as well. And I proudly cast my vote uh, for you. And I am grateful that um, you are out there trying to work hard and, and serve again. I'm very Thank excited. You so much. Yep. You have a good day.
1: You as well. God bless Thank you, show.
0: Bless you, too. Thank you for listening to The Sheryl and Shirley Show. You can find us on many hosting sites and remember to hit follow and share.